or the perspective that will be most relevant uh, to those of us who are single. And with this first message this morning, which I've titled Singles, I mean, sorry, Single and Solid, I want you to be expectant and I want you to open up your heart to receive from God today in Jesus' name. Single and solid, dealing with brokenness. This is my first discussion in this series. Single and solid, dealing with brokenness. I want you to help me look at your neighbor and ask your neighbor, are you solid? Or are you just single? <laughs> Praise God. Single and solid, dealing with brokenness. Genesis 49, we'll read from verse 22 down to 26. Genesis 49, let's take a reading there from verse uh, 22 down to 26. This passage of the scripture is about the young man, well, at the, uh, uh, let me say it, the young man who received a call very early in his life and started to gain a sense of vision very early in his life by the name of Joseph, the son of Jacob. At 17, uh, uh, Joseph started to receive a sense of vision and direction for his life. So you know we, 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 we say Joseph the dreamer. He had a dream, and in his dream, he saw a sign of greatness, a sign of greatness, that it looks like God has set him apart for something incredible, for something out of the ordinary, a sign of greatness. He saw, you know, his family members bowing down to him. He saw, you know, he saw signs. I don't want to go into the details of it this morning because of my time, but I know many of us have interacted with this story before. He saw a sign of greatness. And you all know what happened in his life. He eventually had a very fantastic family. Perhaps the best in the lineage when you talk about all the 12 sons of Jacob and even Jacob himself. Great sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, everything around him worthy of emulation, fulfilled this calling as uh, an administrator, a politician, a leader. But it started from when he was very young. And when his father was about to pass, when Jacob was about to, to, to pass, pass away, he gathered his sons to himself and he decided to bless them. And in the blessing that Jacob rendered upon the life of Joseph, you get an idea of what Joseph had gone through in his life. So Genesis 49 and verse 22, the Bible says, Joseph is a fruitful ball, uh, a fruitful ball by a well. Its branches run over the wall. The acres have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. I wanted to note those words very importantly because we're going somewhere. The acres have, the Bible says, they bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. The Bible says, but his bow remained in strength, and the hand of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Verse 25, by the God of your father, who will help you, and by the Almighty, who will bless you, with the blessing of heaven above, the blessing of the deep that lies beneath, the blessing of the breast and of the womb. The blessing of your fathers have excelled the blessing of my ancestors. Up to the uttermost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be upon the head of Joseph and on the crown of 
the head of him who was separated from his brothers. The Lord bless the reading of his word. So from this blessing that his father pronounced upon him, some things were apparent. One was that Joseph had suffered. Yeah. He encountered bitterness. He encountered hatred. And this was manifest hatred, not intended hatred. You know, sometimes some people intend to be, you know, to do bad things to you, but they are not able to do it. This was hatred that was carried out. The, the, the Akas shot at him. They hated him. They, 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 you know, they did bad things to him, talking about his brothers, starting from his household. From his household to outsiders. So he started from his household, sold him out in slavery and all that. He went through all that. Then, in Potiphar's house. Yeah. And then, from then, until God started to do wonderful things in his life. I wanted to follow me very carefully. I wanted to understand one thing this morning. That, first and foremost, I love to, you know, uh, lay the foundation that we are created for connection and love, not isolation. Yeah. We're created for connection and love, not isolation. Every human being was created by God to, you know, uh, um, enjoy his love, the love of God, and the bulk of it will come through the love of man and woman. Yeah. Starting from the love that we're supposed to get from parents as symbols headship or leadership in our lives. And some of us did not get that much. If you're like me, uh, I got a little. Because we're so many, even if my father was distributing that law, the portion that would get to me would be very small. Yeah. I grew up in a polygamous home, just like Joseph. We were many, more than the family of Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by, if you ask me what number am I, I'm between 25 or 26, yeah, and I wasn't the last one, <laughs> so we just leave, at, leave it at that this morning, too many details are not good for you, <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm talking about, so even if they're distributing that love, you know, the, the size that will get to me will perhaps be different from the kind of size that will get to my wife, which is a family of four kids and two parents. Family of six. Yeah. Family of six. So I hope you understand. You're getting what I'm saying. God created it for us for connection, not isolation. He wants us to experience the love that only he can give. But much more than that is that this love will also come to us through human beings that we're going to interact with, starting from home, starting from our parents, to friends, then to the one that we will love, and perhaps get married too. But certain twists and turns in our lives reposition us in such a way that we may lack, start to lack capacity either to love or to receive love. When we go through life, we experience all kinds of things that may impair negatively, impact negatively, and then impair our, our ability to receive or to give love. To receive or to give love. And as we look through all this this month, I want us to really start out this morning by challenging ourselves under this great atmosphere, under the help of the Holy Spirit, to you know, rise up to our responsibility at positioning ourselves 
to be able to receive love and to give love. No human being will be able to function perfectly or function the way God is expecting us to function if we are lacking in capacity to love and be loved. And the truth is that as I speak this morning, because I know what I'm dealing with, yeah, as I speak this morning, I know a whole lot of us are here with impaired capacity to love or to receive, uh, or to, to, to love others or to receive love from others. So, single and solid dealing with brokenness. Brokenness or being, let me start with being solid. Being solid is different from being perfect. And I want to explain quickly. I'm going back to where I started from, which is the things that impair our capacity to give and to receive love. Being solid is different from being perfect. For instance, being perfect is to be free of any fault or defect. Nobody expects perfection from any of us. Well, some people may. may. <laughs> but I'm saying this morning that I do expect perfection from you. I know some of you may expect perfection from me as a pastor, but I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah. Your expectation notwithstanding, I'm not perfect. Some of us, we expect perfection from people we want to get married to. But the truth is that that's unwholesome expectation. Yeah. Nobody's perfect, so we shouldn't expect perfection from anybody. But this is the truth. Only God is perfect. However, can you hear me tell you anybody this morning, you can be solid. Look at somebody else and tell them, and say, you can be solid. Tell your neighbor, I don't expect you to be perfect, but I know you can be solid. So to be solid, solid means stable, secure, reliable, strong, and emotionally whole. I'm sure all of us want to be like this. And there's nobody here who wants to marry somebody that is not really like this. How many people here want to marry somebody that's not stable? <laughs> yeah. Or somebody who, who, who is not secure. Have you been around? Have you worked with insecure people before? They make your life miserable. They read meanings to everything you say. Yeah. Everything you say at work, they read meaning to it. If you are not smiling, it's because of them. Yeah. And they don't even know what you are dealing with while you are not smiling. That's how, I mean, insecure people, they, they create trouble. Or somebody who is unreliable. Or somebody who is not strong. All of us, you know, want to be around people who are strong, who can be, to some extent, strong for themselves and maybe strong for us. Yeah. At least strong to some extent. Not a weakling, not somebody you have to carry for the rest of your life. Can I get an amen from somebody? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's what we're looking forward to. Yeah. And somebody who's emotionally whole, not an emotional wreck. Not somebody you have to pack up into a bag all the time, emotionally, and then put the bag. <laughs> you know, that's the only way we, we can go. If not, we're not going anywhere. You pack them up into a rucksack and then let's go. That's when people are not emotionally whole. All right. Now, let's go back to where we started from. Joseph ordinarily was not supposed to be a person like this based on what he has gone through and where he has been. And I want to ask somebody here this morning, where have you been? 
and what have you been through? If you look at the story of Joseph very well, his father was about to pronounce blessings over him, but he reckoned with all the things he has gone through and where his life has been and where he is, he was at the material point in time. And he said even the, the blessing upon the life of this man has surpassed that of his ancestors. Yeah. How can somebody live in such a way that in spite of all the dirty blows and bad blows that life will, you know, dealt to you, how you, you, you can remain strong, solid, and be that desirable person that people love to be around. It's important for us to know that we are all broken. And by broken, we mean that we are all not perfect. I can't overemphasize that. Scripture says that, that uh, there are all kinds of vessels in a great house, for instance. So some vessels are completely broken, some are leaking. And some, some people just leak everywhere they go. Yeah. Then they pass through anywhere you know they came. Because they leak on all of us. Yeah. Some, 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 I mean, in counseling, some single people ask me, Pastor, uh, what do you think may be responsible, you know, uh, my relationships don't work. I've done like five this year. And um, some people say, relationship just doesn't last more than one month. So, you know, some people are so terrible, it's two weeks, you know. Just, just in and out, touch and go. And I say, what is, what is? You know, a lot of, a lot of the time, people feel that any, when things happen like that, it has to be demonic. Can I say the truth? It's not all the time that it's demonic. Sometimes because you are leaking. And you leak over people. And nobody wants to stay in a house that is leaking. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. And that's why those relationships are, don't last the way they're supposed to last. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. A few years ago, I was counseling. Um, I was interacting with this, this uh, young guys, guy and a lady, and they told me they had this breakdown in their relationship. The relationship was almost going to pieces, and I thank God, at least thank God today they are married, and they're pulling it together, but if, if, if not for that kind of intervention at that time, let me tell you what happened. So, um, this guy, they were supposed to hang out, and the guy uh, noticed that he was running late or something, so he left his own car and took a taxi to the place where they were supposed to hang out. That was how come he wasn't there with his car. He, had, he also had a car. And then when, when they were going home, the lady was the one driving in her own car. Or maybe he was driving her or something. And they had an altercation. And the lady just said, park, park. And he parked, and he, she collected her car key and said, walk. And then she drove off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a relationship. Yeah. She collected her car key from him, and she just drove off. When you behave like that, you are leaking. <laughs> and you, you may be over leaking on many people. Leak at work, leak at home. Yeah. Excessive anger. I'm going to a bit more of it this morning. Where there's just lack of self-control. Just, just leaking. So some vessels are completely broken, some, some are leaking. And what we don't understand most of the time is like the band-aid does not heal. 
you just putting a bandage on, on, on your brokenness does not lead to total wholeness. And some of us are just putting a bandage on all, all these things. We're just moving on with it. I love to quickly say this also that, 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 that there's brokenness that you may not even be able to fix on your own except you run to God. I'll give you an example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when you read from verse 7, Paul spoke about a certain infirmity that he had. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, from verse 7 down to 10. Paul, he said, uh, this was Apostle Paul writing, he said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, this particular thing, this issue in my life, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it, may, it might depart from me. Verse 9, and he said, uh, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul was saying that a certain kind of brokenness that may be in our life for a season for us to be able to focus on the grace that comes from God. Yeah. So, when you put sugar on the table or anything sweet on the table, you know it attracts hands. Am I saying the truth? God sometimes will permit certain infirmity in our lives at a particular point in time just to attract his grace towards us. It doesn't mean that he wants us to live with it forever. Just to attract his grace towards us. And when we accept his grace, when we allow those things to lead us to him more, not to take us away from him, we just realize how rapidly things change around our lives. Somebody say with me today. So somebody may be listening to me right now, you struggle with depression and it's been there for a long time and all that and you're thinking, is this how my life's going to be? God wants you to depend on him more and you know, rather than allowing that depression to take you away, to now drag you maybe into pornography or masturbation, and then you're just on your own. Everybody's wondering, why is your or she always looking like this? What is happening around her? Nobody can understand you and what is going on around you, and you, you're making silly decisions. Yeah. And allowing the devil to just sell to you that nobody wants you, nobody will love you, you know, because what you see all the time about yourself are the things you do in darkness. Meanwhile, what people see about you is what they see. But when you judge yourself based on what you have been doing, you cut yourself down badly. How somebody still with me today? Yeah? Devil is busy pushing you into a corner that you shouldn't be. I pray this morning that God is bringing someone out of that corner. Because whatever you are dealing with right now is supposed to open you up to the essence of grace. And the fact that it, it takes that kind of connection with God to walk out of it. Walk out of it. And that's why we're here this morning with, you know, the, 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 the master classes, different things. You know, the moment the service is over, you know you're dealing with something. Our ministers are here. Talk to somebody. Don't walk alone this month. God is in the business of fixing his people. And your story will not be different. I cannot hear your Amen. amen. There's also uh, uh, brokenness that happens to you that you need to fix. This one, it's about you, it's about where you have been, 
It's about what you, you know, the things you have gotten accustomed to. Sometimes about your background. It's about unfortunate incidences. I mean, we go through all kinds of things in our lives. From early childhood abuses, you know, to deprivations, to abandonment. All kinds of things that come to want to break us. God says he can fix you, but much more than that is that you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention. So there's some level of brokenness that you know are somewhat external or self-inflicted. There are so many broken people in the Bible. From women like Mary Magdalene and, you know, all the works and the woman caught in adultery in the very act. And all, you, you see, the Bible is replete with people who dealt with all kinds of broken, even to very notable figures like David, who messed up big time. But he will always front load his brokenness before God. He will bring it to God. And God will still say, this is a man after my heart. Moses had a temper to the point that he broke an iPad. <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying. When he finished with that iPad, the memory, everything was gone. They couldn't do anything. Apple could not fix it. Yeah. You know some people, when they are angry at home, they break TV, they break everything. Yeah. They are kicking and shoving and breaking. And you know what happens when you meet such people in a relationship? You run away. If you have had peace about that relationship, your peace will disappear. I remember when I was an undergraduate pastor, a uh, brother walked up to me in the fellowship and said, ah, PG, I found somebody to marry. I said, where? He said, in this fellowship. Eh. I said, tell me about it. So he mentioned the name of the sister. Let's put the name of the brother as K. I hope there's no K in this service this morning. So Kay said, ah, PG, I said, have you prayed? Ah, ah, I prayed. Okay, I said, just spend like one or two more weeks to pray a bit more. He came back in another three days and said, PG, I prayed. Don't worry, I prayed. I, I, I have the peace of God about this thing. So I said, okay. I prayed with him and said, the Lord will go with you. Go and declare your manifesto. Yeah. So he, he went and uh, spoke to the lady and the next thing I saw was that, oh, they came into fellowship together one particular Thursday and they were becoming yummy and all that. I was watching from afar. <laughs> so, another one week down the line, or two weeks, two to three weeks, this uh, brother K came back to me again. I said, PG, ah, uh, that relationship is uh, <laughs> it's over. It's not going anywhere. I said, what happened? And you were just going to say, but you told me you have peace. Yeah. What happened to the peace? Ah, he said, that, that peace. Uh... <laughs> so, you know, then, in, I mean, this was over 20 years ago. Then, in that fellowship then, I now um, uh, created uh, some um, slang. So, when people come to meet me and they say they have peace, I, say, it's, I hope it's not case peace. That kind of peace, I don't want to, that peace doesn't work. It's a peace that is always short-lived. Peace that you, you, you created yourself. You really did not listen to God as much as you should. You, sh you have not really watched out for the things you are supposed to watch out for. And you just made, you just made up your mind, that's it, and I'm, I'm going. 
Having said that, because I may not have time to address that in subsequent times again, I need to say this, that you, it's not like you have to get to that place where you are so, so convinced before you move on when it comes to uh, who to marry for those of us who are not in a relationship yet. This is what I mean. And even if you're in a relationship now and you are second-guessing yourself, when you see something, you say, ah, did I really hear God? Can I tell you the truth? Most of the time, you actually heard God and you have peace. But the perfect circumstance and situation you are looking for, you may never get. You just need to be able to say, I know how God convinces me about things and I think God has convinced me about this one. It does not mean that because God is innate, everything will be perfect. Yeah. But it must bear fruit. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. This one that you are always crying. I see somebody died. And you are in a relationship. It's a relationship. It's not a death situation. Why should somebody be crying all the time? The fruit is not good. Yeah. We have been in a relationship for one year. You cannot say that your life is moving forward or the life of the other person is moving forward. Since the relationship started, both lives have become derailed and scattered. The fruit is bad. By their fruit, we shall know them. Yeah. Yeah. I will, because of time, pack, we'll pack it somewhere. We'll come back to that one. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's move. So there are many broken people in the scriptures. And um, the important thing I want somebody to understand this morning as I start to, you know, tidy this up, is that you can be broken and not be aware of it. You can be broken without knowing it. Your normal can actually be abnormal. And there are many people today whose normal is actually abnormal. Yeah. Because everybody's telling you that... There's something wrong. This is not how to behave. This is not how to do this. This, your worldview or your perspective to issues is not, you've heard it from two, three, four people. It's a sign that something is wrong and you need to do something about it. The problem most of the time is that a lot of us would rather care about the speck in somebody's eyes rather than paying attention to the log that is coming out of our eyes. And with that, we are oblivious of what's happening around our lives. In 2 Samuel chapter um, 25, when you read from verse 2 to 3, you see the story of Nabal and Abigail. I just want to touch on it very quickly. When David asked his servants to go and meet Nabal, can you put that up for me, please? The Bible described Nabal in a certain way. Sorry, 1 Samuel 25 from verse, 20, uh, verse 2 to 3. Can you put that up for me? Now there was a man in, in Mahon whose business was in Camel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was sharing his sheep in Camel. Look at verse 3. Uh, the name of the man was Nabal, and his, uh, his, the name of his wife is Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was what? Ash and what? In his doings. But you know what the Bible says? He was of the house of Caleb. This one was from the house of Caleb. If you know Joshua and Caleb, you will know the house of Caleb should not produce somebody like this. Yeah. So his own problem was not from whom. He got it on the street. 
You know, there are some people, they afflicted them at home so much like Joseph. The response to that affliction was for them to be broken and not to do anything about it. This guy from the house of Caleb was broken. He was rich but broken. And somehow, Abigail got married to him. We don't know how, but Abigail got married to him. When you read that story to the, to, to the end, I think in verse 10 or so, the servant of Nabal, when he was reporting what Nabal did to Abigail's wife, this was what happened. David's people protected his servants on the field. It was a, a situation when you have bandits and all that. They, protect, they rendered security service to them, pro bono. Now, when the harvest time came, and this man was uh, you know, sharing his ships and doing all kinds of things that he do those days, David then sent to his servants to, to him. David was a fugitive at this time, not a king yet. He was running away from Saul. To say, Oga, please help us with some things, you know, your boys are here, that kind of thing. Your boys are here, send, we know there's a party in your house today, just send stuff. David was the head of the area boys around that place. Yeah. Send something to, the boys are here. The guy looked at them. <laughs> he said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? That I, I will now be sharing he said, there are many servants today who have left their master's house and they are roaming like headless chicken and evil spirits all over the place. My own, I added that one to it. <laughs> so that if, if you read it and you can't find it there, you say. <laughs> that was the kind of thing he was saying about David. You know, when somebody mentioned the name of your father and says, who are you? Say, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? To show that I know you, but I don't know you. Yeah. He was a bad guy. Just misbehaving, rich but mannerless, rich but lack of self control. And what happened eventually was that David got angry and said, Today I'm killing that guy and I'm killing all the male in his house. One of the servants of David, I mean, of Nabal, heard about it and went to the, the, the wife, Abigail, and said, You know, our master is a scoundrel. That was the word. Can you imagine that somebody's staff knew that the man was broken? He was a scoundrel. His uh, mannerism and everything showed it, but he was not aware. He just thought, hey, I'm just, why should I just be wasting my food with David, you know, and all that. If not for Abigail that went out early, the man would have been killed that day. Glory be to Jesus. You can be broken and not know. Your normal may be abnormal. Yeah. You can be broken, you know, from your background, from family, from experiences, environmental factors, traumas, and what have you. But from time to time, we need to allow God to step in into our brokenness. Now, why must I face and fix my brokenness? Let me wrap up on that. I need to face and fix my brokenness because marriage will not automatically heal your brokenness. Many people think that when I get married, I'll be okay. When I get married, I'll be okay. Many things you think about right now, you just pack them to when I get married. It's like when you want to go on holiday and your boss asks you, have you finished that prayer? No, when I come back from holiday. You know, when I come after Easter. You know, many people, <laughs> you know the way people say after Christmas or after Easter. You just front load it to later, later, yeah, later. That's, that's the mood that a lot of us are right now. This is going to get better after marriage or when I get into a relationship. This is going to get better. You just, you just, you know, post, you're postponing too many issues that you need to deal with. 
I mean, let me give further examples. Uh, uh, loneliness. Loneliness as an example of brokenness. Many people think that it's when I get married, my loneliness will be cured. There's nothing like that. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. You may even live in your own apartment alone right now. It doesn't mean that you should be lonely. There are two different things. It's different between being alone and being lonely. You can be in the midst of a hundred people and be lonely. Yeah. So there are two different things. There are two different things and you need to master it. You can be alone but not feel insecure. But you can be in a crowd and yet feel isolated and abandoned. So loneliness can cause a level of brokenness and misery and uh, depression and low self-esteem and all those things if you don't deal with it right now. That's what some of the master classes will be able to handle for us if you avail yourself of those opportunities. Marriage doesn't fix loneliness. loneliness. In fact, sometimes it amplifies it. Because now you, are, you will now become aware of what you're supposed to have been aware of. That it's not because somebody is living in the same house with you that will fix your loneliness. That's why you see many married people who are miserable. Because all their assumptions are not working. Yeah. And you know what happens when your assumptions are not working? You blame the other person for it. <laughs> because still in your mind, you still feel that because the person is not doing this or a job, that's why you are like this. When we just got married, that's my wife, she's here this morning. Yeah. I say, why? I'm not happy. One day my wife looked at me and said, am I a comedian? Am I supposed to make you happy? Because I, I just felt that, you know, after we got married, we'd just be laughing all the time, we'd just be happy, we'd just, you know. <laughs> I, I would just, you know, sometimes just in the first two, three years of marriage, I said, this house is too dull. Everything is just dull. The problem was that my life was dull before that time. <laughs> and my assumption was that when I get married like this, you know, everything will just brighten up. Yeah. Especially when you marry a beautiful woman, you know, and you... You understand what I'm saying? That, that, that was my assumption. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, you are not married a comedian. So be happy right now. News flash. Even if you are planning right now, somebody is dating a comedian. They don't like to crack jokes at home. <laughs> Nobody likes to walk at work and come and walk at home. Yes. You need to understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> also, bad financial management. Marriage is not going to fix your inability to manage your money. If you're a scoundrel. <laughs> If, if you squander your money as a single, you will do it when you marry. And then you are going to become a burden on somebody. A friend of mine in the U.S. married a lady who loved to squander money. At some point in their marriage, the marriage almost broke down. They now came to an agreement. The lady had to agree that she is not mature enough to have a credit card, even though she was in her 30s. And they both stood in front of you know, uh, the toilet uh, bowl, and cut a credit card and flush it in agreement because now she's, she's, she's now becoming aware of her brokenness in the area of money management. And that marriage started to move forward. Because you give her any credit card, she will swipe. Eh? <laughs> hey. 
<laughs> she almost ruined the man and ruined herself. And both of them were working. As in bills would just come and say, ah, ah madam, what happened? Why did you buy this? <laughs> so it came to a point after counseling and everything that they both had to agree. This brokenness has to be fixed. And she had to agree also. These are my credit cards. Cut them. Your own. Go and keep them. I don't want to. Don't let me touch your credit card again for some time. Yeah. And then go through counseling on financial management and, you know, dealing with your excesses. Don't give an excuse and don't assume that it will be fixed in marriage. It will not be fixed. Marriage will amplify it and make your life more miserable. Emotional immaturity. Evidence in self-esteem issues, anger, violence, moodiness, all those things. A spouse cannot regulate your emotions for you. You have to allow the Holy Spirit right now that you're still single to start to help you with how you regulate your emotions. The moment you allow your emotions to be anyhow and you get married, what you are asking for is a, is a, is a, is a slave master, not a husband or wife. You know how it feels if you just suddenly realize that you married a baby. You have to babysit them. Yeah? Whether it's a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. So you now take responsibility to babysit. And that's how some people will say, I'm not giving this as an excuse for people who talk to their spouses anyhow. It's not a good thing. But I'm saying sometimes some people are so frustrated, they have to talk to their spouse like a child. Because the way this person is behaving, the person does not deserve to be spoken to as an adult. I'm serious. I've seen all kinds of things. I've been counseling couples for over 20 years. You don't want to be in that kind of situation where somebody will have to drag you on the floor. You're supposed to be a blessing and somebody to contribute. It doesn't mean you are perfect. We'll all never be perfect, but we can be valuable, we can be strong, we can be solid. Say amen, somebody. Amen. So poor management of sexuality. That's the, 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 uh, the last one there. Poor management of sexuality. If you can't manage your sexuality as, as a single, you will cheat when you get married. Yeah. So let's lay that card on the table. That card on the table. I don't know if I mean I'll be able to get back to this in one of the teachings in this series. But as at now, singles hear me. You are not doing well with sexuality, sexuality management. You are not doing well. I'm just telling you as your pastor. You are not doing well. Because in this church, for instance, we deal with statistics and we ask questions. Yeah. People want to get married, we ask them questions. Register for courtship. Have you been sleeping together? Have you been touching each other? You know, and all that. Not because, because of that we will not cancel you. No, we will. We want everybody to get better. And we want to be the helper of your joy. But we want you to now become accountable now. So we can help you. Can I tell you the truth? If both of you will conspire to be sleeping together before you get married, that's how you will go and conspire against each other outside later. Yeah. Yeah. The way it works is that if I can placate my conscience to satisfy you, when push comes to shove, someday I may have to do the same. And I, can, I may have gotten used to it because you gave me the opportunity. Coming into my life, even if I was like that before, you should help me to awaken my conscience. Yeah, to say, this is a Christian relationship. 
You know, there are all kinds of relationships. And when you are going to a relationship, you have to make up your mind. Which one am I going to? Is it a Christian relationship or secular relationship? You know, anyhow relationship. Yeah. It's a Christian relationship. There are principles. It's guided by biblical worldview and biblical principles. Not laws, but principles. And the principle of trust, that trust is major in the foundation building of a relationship, is, is you cannot overemphasize it. Yeah. And if two of us can agree to break the scriptures and break the law of God, we are playing with the foundation of trust in that relationship. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Yeah. And when God says, leave sex till marriage, it's not because uh, he doesn't want someone to sleep with his daughter or his wife or anything like that. It's not the one that will get hurt. He will feel for us, but when we get hurt, we are the one that will bear it. Those things, you know, amplify our brokenness and tear us apart a bit more. You know it's okay for somebody to get into a relationship and you just realize that we're not meant for each other. Relationship didn't really quite work and we both work apart. But we think that some part of your life has gone with that person because you have shared certain level of intimacy that you're not supposed to get into is foolishness. So when God says, let's put a contract in place to secure you and secure your emotions before you, you, know, you expose, overexpose yourself, and you say, no, I can handle it. And God says, okay. It's okay. I can do it. And do it. But when you come back broken, busted, and disgusted, it will still be your father. Yeah. Always there, it's ever constant. The same yesterday, today, and forever. But who is feeling the hurt? You. I hope you are getting what I'm saying. Yeah. It's very important. So, it's important that you deal with poor management of your sexuality as a single. Don't think it's when I get married, you know, and all that. So be ruthlessly honest about your own brokenness. Ruthlessly honest about your own brokenness. Make your own healing a priority. Yeah. Make your own healing a priority. Can you hear me tell your neighbor, say, your healing is your priority. Say, my own healing is my priority. So get introspective. Analyze the past, seek counsel. The only thing worse than being a single broken person is being a married broken person. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing worse than being broken and single, is to carry brokenness into marriage. And the way you deal with brokenness is that you own up, speak up, and take it to the cross. Can you hear me tell somebody, say, own up, own up. speak up, Take it to the cross. Can we say it again? Say, own up. Speak up. Take it to the cross. One more time. Own up. Speak up. And take it to the cross. Rest on your feet, everybody. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Lift your two hands to him all over this place. Just lift your two hands to him. Man takara da gabo sheti po.